My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. I almost said my name is Tim. I was reading the script a little too closely. (laughs) A script? You mean the exact same wording we've been using for three and a half years now? Yes, yes, that I still read. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's consistency, Tim. It's like a warm blanket and a glass of milk. You know, it's kind of funny. I went back and I can't remember. Somebody was asking about something and it was like, it was like episode 25 or something. I went back and listened to it and I was like, oh, we literally have been using the same script since way back then. Oh, no. no why mess with perfection? If it's not <laughs> broke, don't fix it. Uh, I agree with your premise other than the perfection part. I'm I'm <laughs> not entirely certain that it's perfection, but it is what it is. After three and a half years, guess what? <laughs> you got to live with it, Tim. You got to live with it. It. Yes, you do, Tim. I mean, Scott. Whatever your name whatever. is. <laughs> I don't know whoever I am. I've been too busy. I've been swamped in HGTV Squadcast, so I have no idea. I saw yes. that. You did some closet expanding. How, how exactly did you do that? Okay, here's the deal. Anyone who's been following me on Twitter for the past couple of weeks, seen, I kicked off with a tweet that said, half of any home renovation is looking at what the previous owner did and going, what the hell? So I have, at some point in my house, they built a breakfast nook extension on onto the kitchen. And you can tell because there's a there is a seam in the drywall where the where the extension starts. You know, it's like, okay, this is where the house used to end. Yeah. Well when they did that, they also built this laundry closet off the breakfast nook so they could get the washer and dryer out of the garage. Because this is a house back from 1969. Well when they did that, it's this tiny little closet and for some reason instead of using all the space they created, they used this section that measured about 30 by 32 inches and turned it into an extension exterior closet accessible from the deck. Now, it was a piece of crap. They used your door on an exterior, so it's been rotting for who knows how long. <laughs> and and the problem with the way with the washer and dryer is that, you know, you literally had to, like, launch yourself over the dryer to reach into the washing machine because it was a tight fit. So, the vision was made. It took about 10 days because, you know, with any home renovation, every day, it's not like you just keep on working until you're done. It's like you do something, and then you reach a point where it's like, this is over because something has to dry or something has to set. or It's like, mm-hmm. you reach you reach a natural stopping point. It's like, I actually can't do anything else. So this thing lasts for about 10 days where we took out the door, put a window and a chalkboard on the exterior inside of the door casing. So it looks like it's always been there. Like the whole point was to not make it look like an afterthought. And we still have cans of exterior paint. So we were to paint it to make it look the same. And then on the inside, bust through the drywall into the closet space and then had to build up the floor, tile it, dry put up drywall, you know, put it on a casing on the window on the inside and basically took that in that closet space and just added it onto the laundry room so now we were able to spread out the washer and the dryer and make it a walk-in laundry closet now. Can even roll like the, the laundry hamper in between and shut the door so that the laundry hamper can disappear when company's over and that kind of thing. So that was about a 10 day process but it's done. Shelving's up, you know, my washer and dryer work, I am happy. But it has been a long week. <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's it for this week's Home Improvement Squadcast. We'd like to thank you guys. <laughs> yes. I apologize for allowing Scott to go on that long. But um, Oh, please! Uh, <laughs> the stories I've heard... You've gone on for twice as long with some wacko story about work, someone dumping water out. No, that's all I have to say. <laughs> but that was more interesting than, you know, uh, converting uh, uh, an outdoor door, or an indoor door, which was put into an outdoor door into a wall, in hey, a window. <laughs> no. I, you know what, you would... HGTV is at every dentist office I, I, I go to. So you know what? <laughs> Obviously, some people have an interest in it. Yeah, I kid, I kid. Uh, no, 
I'm, I'm glad you got that done. So, so I don't have to see it on Twitter anymore. <laughs> hey, you know what? You're going to see it when it's finished. That's what I'd say. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have anything quite as uh, exciting as that. Um, other than uh, we've been having like some torrential downpours here. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, it's been like just tons of rain, like coming down so fast, like to where like my gutter is overflowing because it literally cannot keep up with the quantity of water that was being dumped. And I had this problem with like, I had this one drain where it was just like, it, it couldn't, like, there's just not a, enough volume to drain all the water. Well, I was watching it today while I was downpouring and like my drains like popping up out of the ground. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like rising up. I'm like, Oh, what the heck is going on? So I ran out there where all this water's this torrential rain is coming down and I pull the, you know, it's got one of the little green like um, lids on top of it to allow the water to just kind of drain through. I pull yes. that thing up and it shot a bunch of leaves up into my face. <laughs> it, there was so much pressure. <laughs> I have the best image in my head now. Thank you for that. There was so much pressure. And anyway, so I got the thing out and then it was like running like a fountain. There was so much water. It was crazy. Like I've I, like I literally I was I was wondering if I should start building a boat. I mean, that's how much water was coming down. But yeah, so that was that was my excitement for today. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> see, you know, I haven't had torrential. I've just had the, you know, what one of our weather forecasters on here say is it, it, all a weatherman has to say is it's going to be hot, muggy with a chance of afternoon showers and you're going to be right 95% of the time. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get this started. I think everyone's everyone's like going. Wow. How far do I need to fast forward right now? <laughs> uh, apparently about seven minutes. Yes. Just, just look at. Yes. All right, guys. Oh. Well, we want to tell you guys uh, we are proud members of our own network of shows here, the Squadcast Network. Uh, we want to tell you about some other shows within our network here. We got DC Comics Squadcast with Jordan and Chris talking all kinds of DC Comics, and boy, they put out a bunch of shows the last couple of months. Yeah. Well, they've also been adding on like Deceased and. And, you know, they also added on Batman the Outsiders. Like, there's just yeah. all these titles that they're like they're they're pile they're piling on. So they're they're just yeah. keep it going. Yeah. No. So they're doing a good job over there. Uh, we also got Fans Without Borders. That's with yes. Brent and Ray, which I believe this week on Monday is going to be their Spider-Man Far From Home review. Which yeah. I still haven't gone to see that movie yet. So yeah. I've been trying to avoid between that and Stranger Things. I've been trying to avoid spoilers like the plague on Twitter. Yeah. I'm gonna be interesting to hear that one. I mean, I haven't seen the film, and I probably won't see it till it comes out at home release. Probably. You know. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I know I'm not. I just don't have the time. But like, I um, I'm gonna be interested because I've been hearing a lot of interesting reactions to that film. Yeah, Ray Ray made it. I read some reactions from Ray. It's gonna be an interesting one. <laughs> just saying, mommy and dad, mommy and daddy might be getting a divorce again. Oh my know. gosh, is that show gonna last? Are they gonna, are they gonna be able to put up with each other for too much longer? Uh, they they put up with each other every week. I mean, it just well, it keeps they do. On going. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a it's a must listen show. Uh, and then we also have DCT. TV Squadcast with Ray and a couple other hangers honors. Hangers honors, yes, I'm one of those hangers honors. Yeah. Which my hanging my hanging on gets expanded this week because in addition with Krypton, Young Justice came, Young Justice Outsiders came back this week. So mm. I'll be there talking uh, this week's three episodes of Young Justice and uh, the one episode of Krypton, and then Chris will be there talking about Swamp Thing. And you are not long for your, I know. Uh, you know, your your appearance talking about Pennyworth. Pennyworth. I'm still trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to watch that show. I will figure out a way. <laughs> you will find a way. If I have to download the app and pay for it, I guess I'll have to do it. But I still think you just need to go with the add-on channel on Amazon. You yeah. Discovered. Right. That's what I'll figure out. I'm going to figure out the cheapest way to do it, and I will be going that way. <laughs> but yeah, that's coming right up end of the month, Pennyworth. So anyway, uh, so guys, um, go check out the other shows. We appreciate all of your support. And we also want to say a big thank you to all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. We say it every week. We mean it every week week it really helps we celebrated a little bit of a milestone this week and we were very happy about that and it's all thanks to you guys so um should we tell them should we tell them what the page should we tell the patrons what we're celebrating this week yeah i guess we could i mean i wasn't gonna say it publicly but i guess we might as well since you brought it up um we you know one of the things that we wanted to do with all the support we were getting from the patrons is to really pay back the investment in this network for the last three and a half years and you know when i talk about investment i mean like, you know, paying the bills that have already been paid, you know, because we were doing this as a hobby. And it was coming out of our pockets. It's coming out of our pockets. And so, you know, we said, well, what, let's just pay all that back. And we hit that milestone. We are now 100% paid back for the first three and a half years of this network. So it's fantastic. So thank you so much. You guys made that possible. No, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And as a thank you to you, we have so much content coming your way. Uh, we've released, I, I think there was like four or five pieces of content <laughs> we released just in the past week. Yeah, there was a bunch. <laughs> I mean, we had our 
Ghost World review with Squadcast Movies. We had a rant with Ray and me. We had our penultimate episode of Wall of Weird Sex. And what else was there? Uh, oh, and then I think there was... Oh, and then there was a Toy Story 4 review. Fans of the Borders Plus. Yeah. And I do know that you've got Return of the Swamp thing almost ready to go. Yeah, dropping this Tuesday. Awesome. And we'll, we will be recording our next episode in, next week. We will be discussing From Hell. Johnny Depp and Heather Graham from, I believe, 2002. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So we got four of us scheduled to be on that review. So that'll be a fun one. That'll be fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get on with the news here, Scott. All right. This one hit like a brick, didn't it? The, yeah, it did. <laughs> and I am... And there are people, uh, their name is Brent, that have said <laughs> have said some s- s- very smart aleck things about this news. And you know what? I kind of have to stand back and go, that's fair. That is <laughs> totally fair. Yeah. Brent, I think Brent sent a tweet out that said, just let me know when the Flash actually in production. <laughs> just, just tell me that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, four directors in four years? Because this is the news we got this week. We found out that it's getting a new screenwriter and it's getting a new director. Or at least they are in talks. Because yes. everything is in talks. Because, I'm sorry, I will not believe anything until they start <laughs> shooting at some point. Yeah. Well, this is a little different now. This news is actually coming from one of the Hollywood trades. I mean, this is the Hollywood reporter, Boris Kitt. But, but, the, but that, 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 so did the other ones, too. This isn't different. We're just getting another one. No, but the other ones were true as well. I mean, people were, att- were literally attached to the project and were developing it. Um, but this is, again, um, this is some kind of surprising news. Like, we didn't necessarily know that this is imminently coming, but like, like, maybe we should just kind of back up and give a little history here. Um, and I'm not going to go all the way back to the history. We're going to talk the most <laughs> recent history because we don't need to talk about uh, Lord Miller and Famuyiwa and it's Seth Graham Smith. Yeah. So uh, let's just talk about the most recent directors attached. I mean, it was John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. And they had, they've been working on this thing since like January of last year. Yes. So about two, about a year and a half, this thing's been in development. But I mean, we started hearing some things about like, you know, hey, there was, um, there was some unhappiness from the Ezra Miller camp. He wasn't really necessarily happy with the tone of the film. And that was like, that was one of the things that we said, you know, when these guys were coming in, you know, of course these guys, what they did like Vacation, they did uh, Game Night, which we, you and I both loved. We thought that film was fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed Game Night. Yeah, yeah. Game Night was really good. And they were one of, and they were a couple of the like six or eight writers on Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of people like, well, you know, I can't believe, you know, bringing these comedic writers on here to do this thing is going to be a disaster. You know, the the typical, you know, judge before you see, you know, what they're planning to do kind of reactions. And, and you know, we've kind of taken that same standpoint. We're like, well, hey, you know, yeah, I mean, they did Vacation, which I've never seen, but they did Game Night, which, you know, it, it was a comedic film. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed Game Night. Yeah. was really good, you know, but we have no idea what they were planning to do with Flash. We just knew Ezra Merlo reportedly was not happy with it. Well, that we found it out later. We actually found it out this year. I mean, because last year we were saying, hey, you know, we don't know exactly what, you know, what's their, their plan going to be with this film. But then we were hearing this year that uh, Ezra was not happy with the tone, right? So, and it even got to a point where it had come out that Ezra was taking it to himself to to actually craft a brand new script with Grant Morrison, right? So, so we do get a little bit more news on that in the end here. So that, that was kind of like where it was left at. Uh, you know, we knew there was some uncertainty about if Ezra was happy with the project. And then at the same time, we like knew there was like um, some disagreements with tone. So we didn't know what was going to happen. So apparently we found out at the exact same time that this news broke, that they had voluntarily, what we learned from the Hollywood Reporter article is that Daly and Goldstein voluntarily left the project. And because they've been writing the script and they were going to direct it. And apparently they just decided to, I mean, as far as the trade is concerned, the phrase used was they have moved on from the project. Yeah. And this is according to Boris Kitt, they apparently have multiple sources that this was a voluntary, they had voluntarily left. Right. Which probably came down to, you kind of wonder if it, they voluntarily left when they realized that their star wasn't going to be happy. I mean, right. do you want to go and write and direct a movie that your lead is not digging what you're doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, that. so it really kind of came down to who meant more to you, these directors or the star? Yeah. And I guess it fell on the, the Warner Brothers wanted to keep Miller. It's really how I interpret this. They well, didn't want to lose Ezra Miller and or the directors realized crap and we want to move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see. Okay, Warner Brothers definitely likes Ezra Miller. I mean, he's in a couple big franchises right now, right? So, I mean, so they definitely kind of want to stay in the Ezra Miller business. You know, they like him as a as an actor. But I, I think they also like, you know, these two directors as well. I mean, you know, they like Daly and Goldstein. And 
and I think my guess is they probably just got to a point like, okay, you know, we, you know, the parties are not on the same page, and and I'm guessing it was just kind of one of those things like, well, is it is it time to just kind of make a change? You, you know, should should you guys move on again? Again, yeah. And so I when it, when you see like kind of a voluntary th- thing like that as a, as a way it's being described here, right? That's if you that that's if you can believe that because I'm sorry if we, if we haven't learned anything in in our three and a half years of this podcast, <laughs> it's to always read any story with a healthy dose of cynicism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's been nothing else that has kind of like leaked out about like unhappiness at this point. Uh, granted, this just kind of came out this week, but I don't know. I I kind of feel like you know it was pretty clear there was a difference of opinion about how this property should be treated. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yes. So so I mean, I I I do believe that it was like yeah, well, uh, we 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 can't be on the same page. We're gonna move on to something else. I can completely see that happening. Now, what really caused you know the waves to hit were who the replacements were. Yeah. So now, apparently, in negotiations to write the Flash movie is Christina Hodson, who, of course, made a big splash with her script for the last year's Bumblebee movie and is currently writing Birds of Prey and is said to be attached to a Batgirl solo movie. And then Andy, uh, help me out with his name here. Muschietti. Muschietti. That's the way I read it. <laughs> That's right, right. Who directed It last year and is going to, and also directed the upcoming It Chapter 2 that comes out in September, which is a new line film. And so this news hit and people got kind of excited because, I mean, anyone who's seen it pretty much really enjoyed It. I did. I actually saw that in the theater. <laughs> With all my issues, I still saw that movie in the theater. Very rare for you. Exactly. And I'm and I'm, and I'm I'm ready for It Chapter 2. I mean, the trailer creeped me out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so New Line has been bringing over some directors, you know, that have been doing some different horror films, which is, you got to remember, that's always like a, it's kind of like a gateway for a lot of directors that kind of make it into the business is through horror. I mean, we had James Wan obviously came up that way. We had David Sandberg. Yep, David Sandberg. Uh, and now we have Andy Muschietti. So. Which, um, have you seen it yet? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I, en- I enjoy I enjoy it quite a bit. I enjoyed it a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's not my favorite horror film, but in terms of the way it was like filmed and uh, the way the, the characters were allowed to kind of like build up and it, it, it kind of had that like stand by me kind of feel. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, it, but once again, it's a King adaptation. Right. right. You know? So, but you're right. He, he knew he was able to play on that aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. And he did a great job. And I, and I loved, uh, you know, I love the way that, you know, we're talking about the cinematography. I mean, the cinematography, and it was really good. So, you it's know, creepy. it was really good. Oh, and I still, and I know this is kind of getting, this isn't really necessarily Andy doing this thing, but those trailers for it still, I think are some of the best trailers I've seen in a long time. Absolutely. And then uh, as far as Christina Hodson's concerned as a screenwriter, um, I really enjoyed Bumpy. I finally saw it. I had to, I had to rent it. I never, I missed it in the theater because of what was going on around Christmas time. I never got to see Bumblebee in theaters. But after, let's just put it this way: I'm a, I'm an OG, I'm a Gen One Transformers fan who saw movies one, two, and three in the theaters. Never made it. I rented number four and never finished it, and just didn't even bother with five. And Bumblebee was a movie that made me go, ah, as far as seeing a Transformers again. And it was because she made it, so, she made it so personal and relatable. It was really well done and a lot of people have been reacting to this news going Warner Brothers must be very happy with Birds of Prey right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've definitely been hearing that and they're definitely very hot on, you know, her as a screenwriter. I mean, you gotta remember too, like, Christina Hodson, you know, when she got into screenwriting, because she actually, I think she, I'm trying to remember, she was in development as an executive with Focus Features and then in 2012 she started screenwriting. And her very first screenplay, which was called Shut In, made it into the blacklist. And if you guys, we'll just describe what the blacklist, which has been around since like, I think 2000, I'm trying to remember, was it 2012? No, it was before. Yeah, I don't know. We've, and we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast before. Yeah. I just can't remember exactly. The blacklist is basically like, it, it's it's the best unproduced scripts. And it's it's basically, um, and I can't remember who exactly puts it together, but it, it's somebody that, this organization that put this thing together and they, and they say, hey, these are scripts 
that are out there uh, waiting to be made. These are the ones that have not been made. And they basically vote like, hey, this this is uh, this has made the blacklist. And she's had three of her scripts on the blacklist. So I'm, you know, it'd be cool to see those. I've seen Bumblebee. I have, you know, the buzz. We're going to talk about it later in the episode, but the buzz is strong for its prey. So, yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, so I'll give you my personal opinion on this thing or my feelings. No, I want someone else's. I want someone else's opinions, not your own personal ones. I want someone else's. Well, you're going to get mine. So, <laughs> yeah, I was always Shoot. open-minded. <laughs> I was always open-minded to whatever Daly and Goldstein was going to do, you know, because I'm I'm not going to make any presumptions about what their take was going to be. Uh, but once I started hearing that Ezra was not happy, then I was like, oh, well, that's not good. Because, you know, Ezra is super serious about his role as the Flash. Like, he he is all in. Like, he's, he's completely all in with the mythology of it. He geeks out over it. Like, this is a guy that really wants this property to be taken seriously. And when I heard that he wasn't happy, I'm like, okay, maybe they are trying to take this thing into too much of a comedic direction, which is, you know, which is not where I want want this thing to go. And this kind of goes back to, you know, like, I think when you have a property, you can decide to have a couple different bases with it. You could either have like a very serious basis and just add in some elements of comedy. That's one way you could do it. Or you could say, I'm going to have a comedic basis and then try to add in some heart and maybe some, you know, uh, you know, maybe some seriousness to it. But basically the basis of the character is comedic. And, and I kind of feel like I wonder, I wonder if that was not like part of the equation uh, with deciding to make this change. Because, you know, if you look at, you know, like say take Shazam, you take the last film that we've had. I mean, Shazam as a character, I mean, we've had very serious interpretations of Shazam. We've had not so serious interpretations. The basis of the Shazam film to me was, you know, like, hey, you know, let's treat this uh, property overall as like with a comedic basis and then add in some heart on top of it. And which they did, you know, but for me, it's like I kind of like it the other way around. I like a real serious take on a character. And then, you know, if you want to add in some comedy, as long as it's it fits, I like, you know, I don't mind that kind of being added on top of that. And so I kind of wonder if maybe that's where this thing might be going. Well, you know, and there was a and of course, as, as always happens on Twitter, because it's Twitter, Twitter going to Twitter. You know, you had some people who wanted to get into different fight about, you know, but Flash isn't a dark character, blah, 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 blah. And and, and when it, and, and of course, there was the, the accusations of, well, how much Flash have you read? I was like, oh, don't you go there with me. <laughs> oh, no. Don't you start that with me. And I was like, Silver Age, Crisis on Infinite Earths, yeah. Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, Rebirth, Two, Rebirth, like, bring it. You know, I know my Flash. But here's the point. But someone said this, and I thought this was a wonderful statement. The Flash is not a dark character, but he could have some dark stories, you know. And I think that, you know, that was, like, the best distillation I could come up with, with, you know, finding a way that's like, there is a middle ground. You know, you look at you look at some of the best Flash stories ever written, and th- and things go serious. Yeah. You know, and and of course, I really like bringing up the whole trial of the Flash right, right before <laughs> right before Crisis. I was like, oh, let people lose their minds over that one. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people just don't know that, you know, that weren't following the character in the comics. Exactly. So I I like the idea that I want Ezra happy because I want, I, you know, I want it to be a better take. I want it to be a harmonious production. And I am hoping that if these two people are in talks with Warner Brothers, you would hope that there has been at least a little bit of vetting. But at this point, after going through our fourth director, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know. I it, Once again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but kind of sign with Bryn on this one. Let me know when production starts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, like, I, I saw people... You know, I saw some of the criticism uh, on Twitter. I'm like, how can you be happy about yet another set of directors or or another director being brought onto this? You know, we're now at you know director number four. Well, so that's the thing, and and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head here, Scott. That's that's really why I'm ultimately happy about this because you know we need that harmonious production. <laughs> we have to have everybody on the same page. If they're not, you're, it's it's going to show through. So the fact that they're making this move, it sounds like you know they're doing it to try to get everybody on the same page that's a good thing like that's what I want to see I, I want to see everybody like all with a singular vision like yeah that's what we're trying to do with this film and let's move forward with it so I mean I'm, I'm hopeful you know if there was that problem with uh, the previous two directors Daly and Goldstein then I'm glad we're making this change for sure so now I, I a couple of the things that came up one <laughs> someone, someone I can't take credit for this but I also can't give credit to credit this due somebody said the, the doom of flash directors is 
sending out a Flash-related tweet <laughs> because they showed every one of the directors who tweeted something out. Like, Here, here's a book, here's a GIF, here's something. And they're all like, that's the that's the kiss of doom. So <laughs> so word of advice to Miss Chetty and, and Hudson, don't tweet anything Flash-related <laughs> until the cameras roll. Just saying if you want to keep your job. Well, you don't have to worry about Christina. She's not even on Twitter. I, good for her. Yes. Uh, Very smart second, woman. <laughs> very smart. Second thing, I also wonder because I'm always trying to keep the time the the timeline in mind. Was the Daily and Goldstein hire something that happened pre Hamada, post Hamada during the transition period? Because I'm also starting to wonder if this hire is kind of a is this like another one of those we're, we're in the full-blown hamada era like we're we're continuing to lose any any decisions that happened pre-Hamada truly taking control of the reins of DC Films. Well, okay. Now, remember when Famayiwa, you know, left over creative differences, that was kind of like in that transition that the- here that where it was like, you know, uh, you know, there's some people that were trying to do some really interesting takes on some of these characters, and, and it seemed like Warner Brothers was like, no, 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 we let's get these things back to, like, the core of what these characters are. So I'm guessing that may have been around the time when we still had had some of the previous pre-Hamada people in place. Well, I knew I knew Famuia left underneath the previous regime. Yeah. That I knew for certain. Yeah. But we also had a period of time where there wasn't a director attached at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was too long though. But no, I know I these guys have these guys have been attached for about a year and a half. Right. But that can still make that could still be under the decision making before Hamada took over. Yeah. Who knows? So okay. That was the question I had. Yeah. But I mean so I, I guess I'm most interested in the idea that if Christina Hodson is, is on this project, because I mean, they're clearly very hot on her uh, as a screenwriter, you know, with these properties. I mean, this is the third production we've heard about, about her being attached to. If you count Batgirl. Yeah, if you count Batgirl. Yeah, I mean, that, so I mean, it's, that's, that's, that's pretty notable. I mean, however, you know, how many other screenwriters have you heard attached to multiple projects with DC Films? So, yeah. So we'll see, you know, I mean, I haven't seen Bubblebee yet. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I'm just not a Transformers guy. So I'm just not into the franchise, but it's one of your flaws of your character. We understand. We accept you. <laughs> so anyway, um, but like, you know, I mean, she's getting huge praise. So that just makes me quite happy, you know, when I hear about uh, what she's getting praise for. So. All right. Well, Variety went on to report that apparently our, our fresh new Warner Brother Entertainment CEO and Sarnoff is going to be making rounds at the studio next week. Uh, on Monday and Tuesday, she'll greet heads of numerous divisions like television film you know this is this is kind of big because she's not a kind of really taking office until late August but apparently these are kind of the getting to know you getting to know all about you and I'd be really curious if this is kind of a sort of like a fishing expedition to kind of see what you're doing you know kind of so you know August doesn't roll around and you know she gets slapped in the face with something that's in production or something I don't know I'd be this is this I'd be I don't expect a lot of news to come out of this but it's interesting to know that she's kind of walking around and making her presence Known. Yeah. Yeah. You got to remember, Ann Sarnoff is, is not, she's not an AT&T person. She's not a Warner Brother person. She's not from either one of these companies. So uh, there is so much of that it's going to be brand new to her when it comes to like trying to understand, you know, this combined company, um, this business really. I mean, in terms of how Warner Brothers has kind of run their business. So yeah, I kind of see this as just kind of like a, a listening tour and I can probably see her coming in and, and just trying to get a lay of the land, try to figure out what people, you know, what are the people saying? Like, what do people think are all the issues and all that? And she's going to have to go back and that gives her enough time by the time she actually moves out to LA <laughs> that she can maybe kind of figure out what she thinks she needs to do with this company. And speaking of that company, uh, we got word from TV line that there is a unofficial front runner in the name for this Warner Media streaming service that we keep on hearing about. And apparently that name is HBO Max. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, they've already got this huge committed built-in base of subscribers already, right, if, with HBO. So um, you're just going to basically keep that name. It, it is interesting, though, because it's not really frontlining with, you know, like a Warner like a Warner Media name. So th- that'll be interesting if that's what they go forward with. I heard somewhere, and I wish I had a source for 
for it, but there was a story that I heard that apparently if you're an HBO subscriber, you kind of get, you're going to be able to get access, like introductory access to the streaming service. Like your HBO subscription kind of transitions into this HBO Max service. So I wish I had a, I wish I had a, a source to really nail that down, but that was the scuttlebutt I was hearing from one of the articles that came out regarding HBO Max, which I think only makes sense. It's kind of the same questions we've been having about what they end up doing with maybe some of the original content and what the history, and well, not the history, but what the future is for DC Universe. Yeah. Yeah. We still don't know. I mean, there's nothing listed in this article uh, with any reference whatsoever to DC, you know, the DC content. So uh, we still don't know. You know like I said, we're, we're going to still keep scanning the news, try to see if we can get some ideas about some, maybe maybe some hints and maybe some clues about which way this might be going, but n- nothing here that I've seen. Yeah, but I did, what I did appreciate about the TV line article though was talking about some of the original content that they've got in production for, or at least in, in development for the HBO Max service. And I'm like, oh, I didn't hear about like three-fourths of these. And this, and some of these sound interesting. Like they've got a Kaylee Cuckoo-led thriller called The Flight Attendant. I heard about Dune the Sisterhood. There's an animated prequel for Gremlins. And Anna Kendrick's got a romantic comedy anthology called Love Life. I'm going to be honest, I'd watch all of these. Yeah, so I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, so if that's what they're trying to go out the door with, uh, like again, you know, no mention of any of the DC properties at this point. So who knows if that'll just be an add-on. We don't know. We don't know. This seems to be something we're saying a lot lately. <laughs> yep. So this is one thing that uh, I got pretty curious about. Um, so there was some news that came out this week that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has invited 842 new members to join the Academy. Now, the last number I had seen, and I, and I don't totally keep up on this, but I think we talked about this a few years ago, uh, the number of of members in the academy was around like 6,000 some odd people, like, you know, upper six, uh, upper 6,000. It sounds like with this new invitation that they did this year, and and I guess they do this every year, this was 842 new members. They are now kind of saying that Film Academy is up around over 9,000 people that are in the academy, which just kind of blew my mind, which I didn't realize it was that large. But uh, just to kind of give you some stats on this thing, last year, they invited 928 members to join the Academy. Now, this doesn't mean every single one of these people actually join the Academy, although I would think, why not? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't join unless it's like, <laughs> unless you have to like pay a membership fee or something to be part of. But so we don't, they don't actually tell you how many members are actually in the Academy. Uh, but here's some stats on it. So 50% of this year's uh, invitees are women. So that's bringing them closer to the goal of creating an even playing field between uh, men and women in terms of their overall membership. Yeah. So this, so this at 50% this year is actually a 7% increase over the last numbers that we had, which was from 2015. Uh, so now we have an overall balance of about 32% of the entire organization is represented by women. So it's getting closer to parity. 29% of the new class for this year that was revealed on Monday are people of color. And then of the new invitees this year, 21 are already Oscar winners and 82 are past Oscar nominees. So now I went through and and I tried to figure out, okay, who are some of the people that we would even know that were kind of invited into class this year? Okay, on the executive side, somebody we would know very much, Deborah Snyder, of course, Zach Snyder's wife and partner. Uh, she has been invited to be a part of the Academy. And actually with Richard Suckle, the other, other producer that has been involved in, say, Wonder Woman. And I can't think, was he involved in another DC property or was it just Wonder Woman? I think it was just Wonder Woman, but I may be wrong there. Yeah, I mean, he's also involved in American Hustle, if you know that film. Uh, so those are a couple new executives that have been invited. Uh, I went through the actor list, Scott, and I wanted to see like how many of these actors would I even know. And uh, Adewale Akinawa Akbaje. Oh my goodness, you're good. Yes, <laughs> it's been a while since we've it's talked been about a while. Him. Yes, but he he's been invited to join the Academy. Of course, played Killer Croc in Suicide Squad. Uh, you know this one, David Harewood. Yeah, oh yeah, Martian Manhunter on Supergirl, <laughs> and also the director of the CIA on uh, Oh my God, that Showtime CIA show, and I'm totally blanking on dang it yeah yeah but i enjoy him a lot and then tom holland this is the one that i was like what what <laughs> 
Tom Holland, of course, who plays Spider-Man, uh, he's like 23 years old. Yeah, but he's been in a lot of movies lately. Yeah, I guess he has been a lot. It just kind of surprised me. I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. Who all, I, like, how do they decide who gets invited? <laughs> so Lady Gaga. Yeah. And and actually, she was invited to a couple of the sub, uh, you know, the subcategories within Academy. And she was invited as an actress. Uh, she was also invited, I think, for music. Yeah. She was invited for music. She's on the list. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that means she gets our actually part, you know, when they go to uh, vote for certain categories in the Oscars, you know, the actors will vote for actors, right? And then right. people in the music side will vote for, you know, somebody in the music side. So she actually gets to participate in both of those. Uh, Lord Miller are there for directors. Uh, Christina Hodson gets added for writing. Yeah. And and also in music, uh, Rupert Gregson Williams, because yeah. he's been... He's been composing up a storm lately yeah yeah for sure and then uh i was looking through i'm like okay who you know what other people who are involved in some dc projects uh you know got invited and i know none of these people but there was <laughs> there was literally like i think seven people that were invited uh, under the sound category that worked on some dc films yeah either aquaman or shazam <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah so it's interesting so yeah so uh i think the process is is fascinating um i would love to see just exactly how this stuff kind of like breaks down, you know, when they actually, you know, go to vote for Oscars. And like, you know, they're, they're very kind of like secretive about it. But it is interesting to kind of see, you know, some of these people that you assumed would have been already been invited to be part of it are, you know, are just now finally getting their invite. Well, this next piece of news was kind of interesting because as an AMC A-lister, I, I've seen this banner, fl- you know, popping up on my AMC app. And it was kind of nice to read. Oh, here's a story about what it is. <laughs> it was the same thing. I had to look it up because I, I I've seen it recently and I didn't exactly know. Well, AMC has started this new banner called Artisan Films, which basically sounded like to me like those limited release independent kind of movies that, you know, maybe you get in like one theater in your town, if at all. It sounds like AMC as a chain is trying to expand the reach of these kind of movies. I know that last week, yesterday, that movie about, you know, what if you woke up one day and the Beatles weren't a thing? Yeah. You know, was like the was their sort of flagship launch of artisan films but coming up uh the kitchen apparently is going to be included in this banner as well yeah yeah so i mean that basically means you know amc like you said is is trying to like give a little more attention to and, and put focus on films that kind of meet these these uh i guess are guidelines you know it's films that are kind of adding to the art and uh so it's interesting they selected the kitchen yeah and it says here amc will program specialized movies consistently in select locations throughout the united states providing what the company terms consistent and convenient showtimes for the works I'm like well thank you i appreciate that yeah that's so is, that is kind of nice i mean I, I do like the the idea that they're trying to help uh give some space and some breathing room to films that are not blockbusters because i mean especially nowadays especially with disney as huge as it is they have so much power right um they just basically are squeezing out other films out of all the theaters right it's like you i look at i look at my movie theater and it's like i know the one location that I can go see these other movies in. Yeah. Because they get squeezed out of every other location. Yeah. So that's cool. Todd Phillips Instagrammed out a couple covers for Empire Magazine for his upcoming film. Oh, that subscriber cover. I always, <laughs> I would say nine times out of ten, I'm always going to love that subscriber cover and it's a good one. Yeah, it is a real good one. Well, though, I mean, the first one, it's uh, we see a, an image of Arthur Fleck. Uh, it's the same image that we've seen of Walking Phoenix before, but it also has kind of like a creepy overlay of of Joker's face coming up out of the top left of his head. That one's creepy looking, but the one, <laughs> the one, the subscriber cover to this magazine looks really great. It's, and I can't tell if that's, I guess it's an overlay of two different images, right? It's an overlay of two different images. It's like you get the, the like those two mirrors that like create that split image. Yeah. But yeah, it's two different, it's two different images, but it's so, it's, mwah. It looks great. It looks great. It's, so it's art. That's art. Yeah. So, it's art. So this is the first, this is going to be the first cover story we actually get uh, involving the Joker film. Well, uh, wait, wait till we finally we'll have something to break down about it. It'll be, it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right around the corner. Now, Scott Wampler, is it Wampler? Yep. I, okay. From Birth Movies Death tweeted out a reaction or at least, you know, a scoop or whatever you'd call it for, because I'm Birds of Prey and the Phantom Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. He wrote, spoke with someone who said, 
says they caught an early test screening of Kathy Ann's Birds of Prey. They raved about it. Movie sounds bonkers in the best way possible. Very intriguing. Which is pretty much what we've been hearing. Yeah. Uh, we did get uh, an interview with Ella J. Basco, who is, of course, is playing, uh, well, I mean, she's playing Cassandra Kane, also known as Batgirl. Or Orphan. Orphan, uh, depending on... Uh, the continuity that you're reading. Depending on the continuity, right? So this is kind of interesting. Uh, she actually, this is this is some of the most stuff we've heard about this film. Because, I mean, most people aren't really saying a whole lot about it. But she was interviewed by a book of, and I'm not really familiar with that magazine. I'm not familiar with most magazines, so that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they asked her a lot of questions about her upcoming film, Birds of Prey. So they asked her, you know, what inspired her to do acting? And she said, you know, when she was preparing for the role of Cassandra Kane, she actually used uh, Natalie Portman and Jodie Foster as her inspiration. And she said, especially Natalie in The Professional and, and of course, Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver. Sure. Couple, <laughs> a couple of pretty good movies. To Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, when I saw that Natalie Portman in The Professional, I was just like, <laughs> okay, there we go. I mean, if you're going to look at, you know, age age appropriate actresses to kind of look at for inspiration, I mean, I guess that's where you would look, right? I mean, a couple of phenomenal performances from both of those two. Uh, she did give some insight into the audition process. She said it lasted a whole month. Uh, she had to go in about five different times <laughs> as part of this process. Uh, she said, you know, to prepare, she is watching a bunch of movies, practice martial arts skills. Um, she even read some comic books with Cassandra Kane to prepare. When she got the role, she she found out her mom had actually picked her up from school. Uh, she got in, into the car with her agent on the phone, and she was given the news. So, uh, I mean, she, of course, was very excited about it. Uh, as part she really wanted bad, and she cried. She knew from that moment on that her life would change forever, which is absolutely true. Well, and apparently there's a, you know, she was asked what her most ex- memorable experience was on the set, and apparently there was one scene where they were just improving most of it, and then uh, the director, Kathy Yan, told them to do a bunch of silly things, and it just made the smile all day and then they later hung out at the Shake Shack down the street and just you know pigged out on junk food for the rest of the day that sounded like some great camaraderie right there so I wonder were they just fil- like is that meant to be a, uh, a scene in the film I th- if that's the sense I got yeah that's kind of what I got too is like basically Kathy was like hey you know go down here we're just gonna film you guys at Shake Shack <laughs> eat a bunch of junk food and just have fun so it sounds like that would be a lot of fun I mean it, again you get the sense that they're really trying to build up all this like um, you know all this chemistry between the characters again. Kind of like what David Ayer did with Suicide Squad, which I think played out really well. Yeah. And she had wonderful things to say about Margot Robbie, called her a mentor and a leader, you know, said that she was was the ultimate professional. And so it was just kind of like, apparently Margot was just making her feel very comfortable and, you know, very, very accessible on set. Yeah. Moving on to some of Matt Reeves, the Batman, uh, whatever the film is going to be called. Um, There was, uh, we'll report this one because Thomas Polito generally is a little bit in tune with some of this stuff. Uh, Thomas Polito of Geeks Worldwide is saying that he's hearing that uh, Vanessa Kirby is is one of the actresses that is up for the role of Catwoman. Yes, please. Yes, please. I was. Uh, it, you liked her in Mission Impossible Fallout, is what you're saying? Uh, that and Princess Margaret in The Crown on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. And and I was. I think I forgot who I was talking to. I, I think I was talking to Ray. And the fact that she's in Hobbs and Shaw the next that sort of Fast and Furious franchise movie. That's like the only thing that's making me interested in that movie was like, Vanessa Kirby's in it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, like literally, that's what piques my interest about that movie. But no, she was great in Mission Impossible Fallout and she's wonderful as Princess Margaret. So I'm, yeah. I'm all I'm all for this. Yeah. We also had a graphic designer who been doing a bunch of different work for some feature films tease out that uh, he may in fact be involved in this film as well. Uh, it all started with, uh, there was the Matt Reeves obligatory, you know, tweet his actor's picture tweet. Well, he had actually subtweeted it and just put a smiley face. So that was, you know, basically like saying, hey, you know, I'm happy about this news. This is Ashley Livingston Thorpe is who we're talking about. It's just Ash Thorpe. Yes. Yeah. And apparently contributed to, oh, wow, contributed to the direction and concepts for Prometheus, X-Men First Class, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, also created user interface graphics for Total Recall and Ender's Game. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the question is like, okay, is he going to be involved in 
and you know any of the technology here with Batman. And so I think um, one of the questions there is actually it was Batman can't see you. That was the person. That was the person asking the question. Yeah, and I can't remember the the Twitter name on it. He said, you know, I was wondering if you're also working on a new design for a certain legendary black vehicle with a little Batman symbol. And his response was perhaps with a heart. So and so and again, I just saw people overreacting, like, oh, you know, I, we already have a perfectly fine Batmobile from Batman v Superman. Yeah, you do realize that Batman goes through <laughs> Batmobiles like crazy, right? Well, well, not just that. Like people that were upset about, uh, you know, we have a perfectly good uh, Batmobile from Batman v Superman. I mean, if and we don't know exactly if this film is going to be in continuity or not, but if it is, you got to remember. I mean, this is a Batman that's you know probably 15, 20 years earlier in his career, right? So yeah, he definitely had a different car. <laughs> he had a different car. I mean, let's let's be real here. There was no young Batman with a with a <laughs> an armored vehicle. <laughs> so that that armored vehicle was part of Batman's development as he became, you know, <laughs> more bitter in his career. Well, and let's also talk about the fact that, you know, I have like a Batmobile collection of like little miniatures. You want to know how many freaking Batmobiles there have been? Yeah. I mean, e- even in a single continuity, he goes through like numerous cars because guess what? Those things blow up. Yeah. Yeah. And not just that, just even on... The marketing side of things. I mean, there's a ton of value with designing a new Batmobile. <laughs> Let's of be clear. There is. It's called toys. <laughs> it's called toys. So, so yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I, I always kind of get excited with this thing. Every time we've had like a new Batman kind of come in, you know, you have a new Batman. What's the new suit going to look like? What's the new Batmobile going to look like? I mean, those are the things you always, you know, that are always going to be the questions set. And you know something that I've seen a lot on Twitter, so this isn't original, but something that I can get behind is the idea of, can we get a Batmobile that actually looks a little bit more like a car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm okay with that. You know, give me a Batmobile that, that maybe resembles more like a sports car and less <laughs> like a tank. I don't yeah. know. And that's not me, and that's not me crapping on the Tumblr or, you know, the BVS Batmobile because those were great. But if we're going to get a new one, give me something that looks, you know, a little... A little bit more like a car. Yeah, you know, you, you you could you you build up, you build up to the you know urban tank. Right, right, yeah. So so anyway, we'll we'll have to sit back and wait and see. It'll be kind of fun to see what they come up with. So there is there's an actor named Brandon uh, Laraquente who has teased involvement in, in some kind of ble- Blue Beetle project. Uh, know nothing about this, but thanks to DC Brazil, they had actually spotted. Something that Brandon had put out. This is, of course, an actor who was in 13 Reasons Why, which he must have been in season two because I didn't see season two. I didn't either. And and thank you. I was glad to know because I was looking at him going, I don't remember this guy from season one. Yeah. And season one was all I watched. Yeah, same here. But he published uh, in one of his stories on Instagram that he was visiting, you know, Warner Brothers Studios. And then the second picture he had put was a picture of a Blue Beetle comic book. And that was it, you know, without any context. So obviously, you know, implying that, you know, he may be involved in Blue Beetle, but we didn't, you know, we don't know if it's, if he's implying it's some kind of like uh, involvement of a TV show or it might be in film. Uh, now, of course, uh, it was back in late last year, the rap reported that Warner Brothers was developing a Blue Beetle solo film. So who knows? So just something to keep an eye on. Okay. Um, I'm glad you put this in the notes because I've been kind of like hyping up for this. But Netflix has officially released images of Henry Cavill as Geralt for their new Witcher series. And I'm <laughs> kind of excited about this. I actually finished the first book this week. And like, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see Henry do this. I, it's, I know it's not DC related or anything, but it is Henry. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm ready. Give it to me now. Have you heard any, have you played any of the games or anything no. involved with this franchise? No, I haven't. I mean, I've watched some videos just to kind of get an idea of what the game's all about. But um, yeah, I haven't played any personally. No, I've never played in the games either. I'm just going back and reading the books that the games were based on. And because they're actually Polish novels that only in like in the past 10 years have been translated officially into English. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be a fun series. I just, I'm looking for, this is going to be a different kind of role for Henry, I think, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I just hope we get to see him back as Superman, but that's a different story. So, you know, what's kind of become like our weekly, what happened with Justice League this week segment? <laughs> right. uh, Zack Snyder dropped an image of Uxess, 
uh, on Vero, you know, Dark Side, from the history lesson, and it was a pretty sweet-looking image. It was, I what made this one kind of a big deal was, one, it came, seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, there was no kind of lead. It just was there. And secondly, after the Father's Day image got released where he was very far away, it this one was a little bit more close up where you could actually see some details about the character and it looks like Dark Side. Yeah. What can we say <laughs> about that part? Yeah. Now, this, of course, leads into other discussions that always arise when these kind of images get released. And, Tim, how about you take that? Yeah, I mean, when you see this image, uh, quickly people match it up with the actual scene from the history lesson in Justice League. And in the Joss Whedon version, this rendering of Darkseid, of Uxas, was actually replaced with Steppenwolf. And, in fact, you can kind of see it was, uh, there's some images where people have matched it up. It, it's the exact same, like, orientation, shape, uh, like it was was the 3D model of Uxas that was used and then repurposed to become Steppenwolf. And so what's interesting about this thing is that when Zach released this thing, either he purposely released something that was unfinished which I don't think he would do, or he basically released the best thing that he had within his possession. And I, and I think that's probably the case. Now, when we talk about, you know, when he's got his cut of the film and, you know, and he said before that it needs some visual effects work to finish it up, uh, this is would be one of those examples, like where he last had this thing in his cut, which of course was screened, and then that's where Warner Brothers had decided to, uh, they wanted to make some changes on it. At this version, that looks like this is just the rendering of the 3D model um, in kind of in an unfinished state. And this is what they would have to go ahead and, and finish up uh, actually as Darkseid if they were going to redo this scene or at least, you know, update the scene and finish it off. So it's real interesting. Uh, Chris Dawson, who of course is, he's the, the visual effects guy that is just doing his little pet project, um, the Black Suit Edition. He actually made a really good point about this thing. He says, you know, one of the great things about this thing is like clearly work was done after Zach had this, but what's kind of important about about it is that a lot of the money that was spent to finish up this particular scene was spent for Justice League and then it, and so the the amount of money that it would take to kind of finish it up in terms of Zach's vision if we were to get that wouldn't be as much money because you know a lot of the layering work was already done to finish up this and so it'd just be a matter of uh, switching it out to where Zach would be satisfied with uh, his dark side being represented in that particular scene so it is interesting yes yes it is and just a little comment it also goes back to kind of explain why so many of us were very unpleased with the way Steppenwolf looked in the theatrical release. Because, obviously, that wasn't supposed to be there! Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a rush job to finish that up, and whatever. And we don't really know when the decision was made. That's another question that keeps on coming up, is when when was this change made? Yeah. We don't know if this change was requested while Zach was still attached to it, or if it was done after, you know, he was moved off the project. We just don't know. We don't definitively know. And uh, I mean, I guess we have to kind of talk about, um, you know, the big event that happened on Friday where, you know, it was kind of an organized effort to try to bring the hashtag release a Snyder Cut uh, trending. And it actually worked quite well. Uh, the last I saw, I think the hashtag release a Snyder Cut was trending, had a total of about 46, 47,000 tweets by the end of the day. Uh, and it actually made, you know, you know, when you go to like Twitter and it's got like the, uh, the trends for you, of course, you know, we're all obviously posting about you know, a lot of this uh, stuff. And it was actually the number one in the list. So it was it was showing up as trending. And I think overall it was even trending like in the top, maybe 15 or so, somewhere in there. It made Twitter moments. It like made Twitter a moments. Twitter moment was released about it. Okay, so. yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, I mean, so good job, everyone. Uh, I guess it was like 46,000, 47,000 tweets uh, with the hashtag. So I don't know how many users that actually translates to. I, I mean, Right, because there were a lot of people, there were a lot of users writing multiple tweets. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would say it's probably it's probably somewhere between an average of one and a half to two tweets, I would guess, per person. So I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it was like you know, somewhere around twenty to 30,000 people tweeting, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so once again, it's just, you know, Know, trying to you know keep especially with AT&T being a um, ISP you know that some that's just that's just another feather cap along with the search engine optimization we've been talking about and the the, the, the continued coverage like did you see that the Washington Post article got reprinted in uh, in print for the 
Toronto Star. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's got so. picked up for syndication, so that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just keep pushing. Uh, I hope we get more opportunities for other avenues uh, to kind of get the knowledge out there and get the, you know, the idea, you know, uh, explain to people, like, kind of what happened with this film. Uh, I think, you know, if we can get some more articles kind of written in a positive manner about it, that's going to that's gonna help as well. So it's 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 interesting. Like, um, the, the push for this film is definitely not dying down. Yeah. Okay, last little bit of news. It's kind of TV news. I'm very excited about this. Um, apparently, the we've been talking about this Sandman property uh, for a while. Like we've gone through like the George, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt development, you know, TV versus film. We've talked about this yeah. in le- like the last three and a half years. Well, apparently, it is moving forward on Netflix. Yeah, uh, I am. I am so giddy about this, only because I'm such a big Neil Gaiman fan. But uh, it, it's it says more than three years. Yes, because we've been watching it the yeah. whole time. Netflix has signed what sources describe as a massive financial deal with Warner Brothers Television to adapt the best-selling comic into a live-action TV series. Sources familiar with the pact note that it's the most expensive TV series that DC Entertainment has ever done. The Drama has officially been picked up with an 11 episode order. Wow. You're going to have Alan Heinberg to, to set to write and serve as showrunner. You know, he helped co write the Wonder Woman. He was also worked on Grey's Anatomy and the Catch. Neil Gaiman will executive produce alongside David Goyer. Now, Goyer and Gaiman uh, were attached when it was over at New Line, but apparently. Gaiman, Goyer, and Heinberg, all three will co-write the pilot episode. Mm, That's amazing. I I am so happy. And I know Chris Rimmer has got to be like just dancing a jig. Yeah. Uh, What's interesting in this article is it says that sources sources say that Warners, who controls the intellectual property on this, took the Sandman TV pitch to multiple outlets, including the corporate sibling HBO. I mean, they went to the company they own. They went to the (laughs) company that owns it, right? And they did not make a play for the series because of the Massive price tag attached. So again, this and this is the thing we've heard about, like what it seems like Warner Brothers and at least uh, Warner Media, their strategy, as they've said, you know, not everything is going to be 100% exclusive intellectual property wise, just to their outlet. Like if it makes sense to send it elsewhere, and it sounds like this is one of those cases, you know, they will, you know, they'll be more than happy to ship this thing over to Netflix, it seems, and uh, and just you know collect their money there. So I mean, this is this is fantastic for Netflix because this is going to start to help, you know, kind of fill some of that gap as uh, some of the Marvel properties start to disappear. Well, also what they talked about was Netflix wants this because they kind of want that fantasy series that will help compete with that second age Lord of the Rings series that Amazon's developing. HBO just, you know, finished up with Game of Thrones, but they're working on their prequels. And, but this also helps Warner Brothers because Netflix is paying Warner Brothers for this licensing agreement, which then they were talking about in this Hollywood Report article, Warner Brothers can then turn around and go spend on this J.J. Abrams deal yeah. or trying to re-up their deal with Chuck Lorre's production company. And so it's like Warner Brothers is more than happy to shop this around because they're getting – Netflix is paying them for right. the privilege of making this show. Yeah, I mean it's not funny money going from you know one hand to the other within the same organization. You're actually bringing in money from the outside. So um, I just I, – and with names like – with Gaiman working and Gaiman helping the Co-write. I mean, Gaiman's been having a, 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 a grand old time with American Gods and Stars and Good Omens on Amazon. Goyer and, you know, Krypton has continued to be really good on Sci-Fi Channel. I'm just like, bring it on! Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's going to be 11 episodes. Uh, with hopefully room for more. Yep. So that's a good way to end this show. I like it. I like, I like it. it a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a dream, if you could say. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. Yes. Something. <laughs> oh, the dreaming. Okay. All right, buddy. We're going to go ahead and end this one. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Well, guys, well, that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, we had some fun stuff to talk about this week, so that was that was kind of cool. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can reach out to us at Suicide Squadcast on Twitter. You can reach me at Alan Fire. You can always find me there. You can find me at ScottDC27 on Twitter, and you can email us at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. All right. So we'd love to hear from you guys. Don't hesitate to reach out. You can also find us on Vero, Facebook. We have a website, SuicideSquadcast.com. You can also support the network at Patreon.com slash SquadcastMedia. Don't forget, we have the return of Swamp Thing this week. Uh, can I forget it? Please? <laughs> Please? It was it was a fun review. Oh, man. This is a review. For, <laughs> this is... Eh, it's one for the ages. It's one for the ages. <laughs> yeah. So we got 
got that. We'll be dropping that one early this week. So, all right. Well, thanks again for listening, guys. And we would encourage you to go out and keep reading some DC. Bye, guys. young dark side name i just feel like every time we say it that i'm not pronouncing it right because it's one of those names that's been in print for so long but no one's <laughs> actually like come out and said it it's almost like mixy as or mixy spittalic <sighs> but you get uke's ass would, would you stop saying uke's ass every time you say that i have to cut out me laughing <laughs> well i don't want to show my uke's ass when i'm trying to say this name <laughs> is it but is it uke's ass I don't know. I, th- I think I think we need to. I think we just need to blow up the name. Seriously. Yeah, we need something simpler. Why? Why couldn't it have just been like Smith? I don't know. Kirby. Hold on one second. Um, and uh, get me. Uh, what are you getting? Oh yeah, I, I didn't have dinner either. Uh, get me a a, a a cheese crystal and a chicken and a chick and a roadie cook zero. Okay, well just something. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I have no idea what language you were just speaking there, but I've never heard any of those terms. <laughs> you obviously don't have a crystals around. What what is that? It it is a it's it's basically a it's like a white castle. Oh, okay. Now you're just talking my language. Exactly, but we don't have white castles down here. Uh, that's so sad. No, we have crystals. It's fine. Uh, is it? It's, yes. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, thanks for uh, giving me like a, a, a substitute explanation because now I understand what you're talking about. You're welcome. Because you're rattling off things that I had never heard in my entire life.